This is Channel 253. In this episode of Gimme the Mic. We are, um, I will say, very lucky to have leadership like our mayor and deputy mayor that are unabashedly talking about the fact that we need to be intentional about building racial equity into how we do things. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Good morning, and welcome to the second annual State of Black Tacoma. I am so pleased to be here this morning with about 200 of my closest friends virtually to hear some great information about what's happening with Black people in Tacoma. My name is Latasha Wortham, and I have the honor of being board chair of the Tacoma Urban League. I have the honor of really working closely with this organization to make a real difference in the lives of people in Tacoma. I'm very honored to be joined by many of my board members who you may not see right now, but are definitely here on the on the virtual call today. My vice president is Lua Pritchard. The secretary is Alicia Klein, treasurer Timothy Allen, board members Bonnie Pinkney, Cliff Brown, Alexandra Mather, Ephanis Henderson, and David Devine. We are so pleased to be able to serve at the pleasure of the people of Tacoma when it comes to the Tacoma Urban League. I wanna be the first to thank you all so much for joining us today and to welcome you here. You're gonna get some great knowledge today about some strides that maybe we've made in the black community, but also the grave disparities that continue to exist in the black community. And when you get that information, I hope that you are inspired. I hope you're inspired to continue to be a part of the Tacoma Urban League. Hope you're inspired to do more to help out and to, to help close these gaps um, that are facing our community today. COVID-19 has shown us um, uh, the continued disparities in healthcare um, that we are facing in the black community. It's continuing to show us the institutional racism that continues to exist. All of those things can only be overcome if we all come together to address those issues. And so I hope today you are inspired to do that. I also wanna thank each and every one of our panelists today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules, and I know all of your schedules are busy, to be with us. Um, I thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and for continuing to support the Tacoma Urban League. Um, thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for what you're doing here today. Um, I also want to thank our wonderful DJ. He had us grooving before the beginning of this meeting. And so thank you so much, Dorian Waller, um, for being here today and for always offering to be a part of what we do at the Tacoma Urban League. You're truly appreciated. Um, we have had some wonderful partnerships over the last year that you'll get to hear about. And I'm really excited to, um, that you'll be able to hear about it because again, I think that you'll be inspired. Um, a lot of that has really been spearheaded by Tawana Nobles, who is the president and CEO of the Tacoma Urban League. She has really built um, many great programs and continued to make great partnerships with the Tacoma Urban League, building on the shoulders of our now mayor, Victoria Woodards, and all of the uh, executive directors that came before her. Um, and I'm really excited about this upcoming year. I think that while we have a new world and we have um, a new way of life, that we are going to discover new and exciting ways that we can address some of the biggest issues in our community. In fact, I'm counting on it. I'm counting on 
every one of us to step up to make that true. And so without further ado, I want to again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for supporting the Tacoma Urban League. Thank you for supporting the community. And I ask you to continue to do so. Now I'd like to introduce to you a woman who is incredible. She is a great mother, a great wife, a great friend. She is a great school board member for University Place School Board. Um, she is also running for a state senate here in Washington in the 28th Legislative District. And we have the honor and the pleasure and the fortune of calling her the president and CEO of the Tacoma Urban League. Please welcome Tawana Nobles. <laughs> Good morning, Tacoma. My name is Tawana Nobles. And as our board chair, Lataja Wortham, has already informed you, I am the president and CEO of Tacoma Urban League and excited to be here this morning with all of you. I am excited for the remarks that you will hear throughout this presentation. Um, this is a very critical conversation and one that we um, don't have enough. Today we get to spend this time together virtually and discuss the state of Black Tacoma. And I too wanna thank um, the board of directors of Tacoma Urban League, um, all of our staff, our supporters, our donors, all friends and members of Tacoma Urban League, thank you. Thank you to all of the panelists today, as well as our event planner, um, host event planning. Thank you DJ for keeping the music live today. Um, I also want to spend time before I jump into my opening remarks thanking teachers, educators. I know I am at home struggling through crisis schooling and it is not an easy job. As a former teacher myself, I know the sacrifice um, it takes to educate our future generations. So I just want to thank you all. And um, to continue with gratitude, thank you to all frontline workers, including nurses. This week we got to celebrate Nurses Day, but thank you to all of our healthcare providers. Um, we would not be surviving this pandemic without you. Um, thank you very much. Um, scientists, elected officials, thank you all. Um, we're running up on a very special holiday this weekend. Thank you to um, mothers, other women who stand in the gap. Thank you all. Enjoy your celebrations this weekend. Um, this is a very tough time as we are in the middle of a pandemic. But this is also um, a time to um, look at some of the silver lining as we um, deal with tremendous sadness, as we deal with the loss of jobs, the loss of lives, um, the loss of significant celebrations and opportunities, as we mourn innocent lives in this country, I would like for us to take a moment of silence for Ahmad, if you all will join me for a few seconds of silence. Thank you, 
this conversation today is more important than ever. This conversation, as my board chair mentioned, will not just focus on the gaps, but also the gains that we've made. We'll talk about some of the celebrations because while we are confronted with tremendous sadness in this pandemic, this also has been a time of um, celebration as there have been the birth of babies and assumed to be birth of babies. The celebration of the class of 2020, congratulations. I graduated the class of 2000 when we thought the world was gonna crash. Um, and so uh, here, here I am um, 20 years later and, and you will um, sit there um, leading in our community um, 20 years from now, remembering this unique time, um, graduating during a pandemic, but nonetheless, your achievements um, are recognized and celebrated. Um, so thank you community for your resiliency you probably are like me. This mask is a new accessory um, that I, I keep with me to keep myself safe as well as washing my hands and sanitizer and just staying home. But I am grateful for the resiliency of our youngest community members um, to our more seasoned community members and everyone in between. This has been a very challenging time and Tacoma Urban League remains on the front line providing services remotely. I can tell you now it is not easy to run a homeschool or crisis school, to run a household, to run a nonprofit, and to run for state senate in the middle of a pandemic. It is a new experience. But I'm grateful for another day, grateful to continue standing, grateful for an amazing, um, determined staff who continues to provide virtual services all across this county. We have an amazing program lined up for you today. And again, I want to thank um, all of the elected officials, including our mayor, um, Victoria Woodards, and deputy mayor, Keith Blocker. Thank you, auditor, Julie Anderson. I know our executive, Bruce Danmeyer, is also um, on this virtual town hall. But thank you to all the elected officials for all that you do and all the difficult decisions you have to make during this time. Um, I'm grateful that Tacoma Urban League has been on the front lines helping small businesses to apply for um, idle loans and PPP loans. And I got a really great text this morning from a black owned business to say, we have been approved for our PPP funding and we should have money in a bank on Monday. And that is the type of work that we are doing here at Tacoma Urban League. So we are helping families. We are helping um, community members. We are making sure that we do not stop working. I also want to thank those who are supporting me in the 28th, Representative Mari Levitt. Thank you for being on this call today and taking this conversation seriously. We have amazing allies from Tacoma Public Schools um, to the county, the city, all across Pierce County. And I want to give a special shout out to my district and university place, as well as um, other school districts um, here in Pierce County. Thank you for your tremendous work, your quick action. Um, our community is well on its way to rebuilding. So I'm going to conclude my remarks, but be prepared to um, have a discussion today about institutionalized racism, about the work that we need to do to continue moving our Black community ahead, especially in light of COVID-19. Grab your notebooks, grab your pens, take notes. We have a really great program in store for you today. And if you have questions about Tacoma Urban League, visit our website at thetacomaurbanleague.org. I now would like to introduce the mayor of this great city of Tacoma, our very own Mayor Victoria 
Woodards. Thank you. Well, welcome everyone. Uh, hey, DJ, you know what my song is. <laughs> I just wanted to give Dorian a hard time. Um, thank you all for joining the Urban League today at this, at this town hall, the state of Black Tacoma. Um, I am grateful um, to its president, Tawana Nobles, um, and to the board chair, um, Latasha Wortham, for their leadership in continuing to take this organization to another, another level. I'm also grateful um, for all of the board and all of the supporters who keep the Urban League going. I can't tell you all how important the work of the league is. Um, not that it hasn't been important for the last 50 years, but it is so incredibly important in this time. Um, I will say it till the day I am no longer on this earth, but I would not be who I am or be where I am if it hadn't been for the Urban League in my life. And so my gratitude runs very deep and my love for the organization and my commitment to its success um, will burn eternally for me. Um, this conversation though, the reason I say that the Urban League is needed now more than ever, um, I don't have to remind every, anybody what's going on in the world right now. We all are, are very important. We all are very aware of the crisis that is facing us with this pandemic. But there are a lot of things that have been brought to the, sur to the surface in this pandemic. The, the inequities that exist in this world, in this country, in this state, and even in this city have been, have been brought to the surface more than ever. And although we've all been committed to the conversation of equity and all of us have been doing a lot of diversity and inclusion work, I think that even in the decisions we make every day, we are seeing how communities of color, especially the African-American community, have been hit in the past and are being hit now because of the crisis. What I hope doesn't happen is that we don't forget. Obviously, we will never return to the world we once knew. I believe that the new normal is real and it'll never be how do we get back to where we were. The question is, how do we get to where we can be and how do we stay there? But even in doing that work, I challenge all of us to think about the inequities. In my conversations with the governor's office and as I participate with the National League of Cities, I'm the, the co-chair of the Rio Council, which is the Racial Equity and Leadership Council, and working with the U.S. Conference of Mayors, as we talk about ideas and thoughts about how we reopen and, and how we target to make sure that the most vulnerable people in our community get the support that they need, I'm consistently reminded about how difficult it is to do that because of the place that people um, of color have been put in all of these years. And how difficult as we think about even reopening um, reopening the state of Washington and we open golf courses and, and, and those kinds and hunting and fishing. And I think to myself, that's really great, but what are we doing for communities of color who don't hunt, don't fish, who don't golf? And, and, and the answer is that the things we open up for our communities who need it the most are also the things that put our communities in the most vulnerable positions. 
When we think about opening up parks or opening up playgrounds, where our community would go to, that runs the most risk of spreading the COVID virus. And so, again, as we start to move forward, I want to remind us how important it is to remember that there are people who have been um, at the very end of the line and who are still there and that we have to continue fighting for and we have to lift up these inequities. They've been exposed in a way that we can't even deny them anymore, but we've got to make sure that they stay in front of people and that we don't get back to business as usual, even in our mindset. Um, but in addition to that, um, there are some things that are happening, um, as, as President Noble said, there are some things that are happening that are, that are good. And I'm glad that Deputy Mayor Blocker will be joining us today to talk more in depth about what we're doing here at the city. But I do want to say just how proud I am of our city that in putting out our rental assistance, that 45% of that $1.2 million will specifically go to communities of color because we recognize that those are the communities that are hardest hit. And as we continue to seek funding and find funding, um, we are going to, to do things like rental assistance and, and small business loans or grants, whatever it is uh, that we're putting out, we're going to continue to keep that lens in front of us as we move forward. But I also want to remind us that there are some things that we can do. Um, Deputy Mayor and I were very successful in, with the governor. Um, I'm working closely with him to extend the eviction moratorium in the state of Washington and to exclude um, late fees and protection for commercial tenants. That's the work that we did here in Tacoma. And we weren't worried just about Tacoma. We were worried about the entire state. So we are grateful to the governor for taking this statewide. Um, we're, we, we also lobbied very hard to get curbside pickup for retailers beginning soon so that some of our small businesses can get back to work. Um, the governor's office right now is looking into childcare and how that can be expanded when the economy opens to make sure that um, we are getting childcare for those who need it the most who need to be able to go to work. And so we've also, we are also having conversations about um, the whole idea of asking everyone to wear face masks, especially when African-American men um, feel more harmed by that. And we know that there is, there is data that, that proves that. So we're going to continue to work on behalf of everyone in our community. We're also going to continue to fight for African-Americans in this community. I may be the mayor of Tacoma, but I wake up every day an African-American African woman, and that doesn't change for me. But I just want you to know that, that, that with all of us working together, there is a path forward. And as you'll hear from the wonderful presenters today, they will share with you where we've been, where we are, and what we can do to continue to move forward. And we stand in front of them, behind them, and beside them to help them get the work done, also in partnership with the Urban League. So thank you all. Please stay safe, stay healthy, um, and we will get through this. We'll get through this because we'll do it together. And just like in any storm, we will be stronger in the end for having gone through it. All of our frontline workers, um, everyone, everyone on this call today who's working hard, elected officials, I'll just say ditto to the list that Tawana laid out and everyone will lay out today. Thank you for your service. Thank you for putting your lives on the line every day to make sure that our residents stay safe and all of you stay healthy. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.
we get to bring you Deputy Mayor Keith Blocker with comments on the impacts of COVID-19. Welcome, Deputy Mayor Keith Blocker. Good morning. Good morning and welcome. I am Keith Blocker, the city, city's Deputy Mayor and District 3 City Council Representative. I'm happy to be here with so many of you who are also passionate about improving the lives of black friends, neighbors, and family members in the city of destiny. I love this city and I want to ensure that we foster equitable opportunities for all to see Tacoma thrive to its fullest. Our city council works for you and have been busy addressing the needs of our residents while maintaining basic services during this COVID-19 pandemic. Next slide, please. Most recently, the city established a rental assistance program and identified 1.2 million from housing trust fund resources to provide $1,000 paid to landlords of residents who make less than 50% of the area median income to help keep residents in their homes during this crisis. The application period ended yesterday, but I wanted to highlight this good work. The program has set aside 45% of the funds for households of color. Based on our research, 45% of the homeless population documented to be those who are non-white. The city decided to make sure that the total rental assistance funding was distributed proportionately to those populations. Next slide, please. COVID-19 has not been kind to Pierce County residents who are Black, Hispanic, Native Hawaiian, or other Pacific Islander. The data shows and the table comes from the Tacoma Pierce County Health Department from April 16th. The data has actually changed slightly as of April 29th and has shown an increase and how this virus is disproportionately affecting people of color. The slide shows that 11.1% of confirmed cases are from people who identify as black or African-American, but the latest data now has it at 12.1%. Blacks or African-Americans make up only 7.1% of the Pierce County population. Latinos, Native Hawaiian, or other Pacific Islanders are being impacted at higher rates based upon their population as well. In the latest data, residents identifying as white make up 53.7% of the confirmed cases, but make up 65.6% .6 of the Pierce County population. In the latest data, people of color make up 46.2% of confirmed cases, but represent 34% of the county population. 
We know we have inequities rated, related to race and COVID-19 is shining a bright light on the topic. We have much work to do to close these gaps. Next slide, please. Regarding unemployment in Pierce County, we know COVID-19 has taken its toll. The top graph shows the initial claims of unemployment insurance in Pierce County from 2005 through the end of 2020. You can see the drastic and immediate upward trend lying at the far right showing in March 2020, there were over 52,000 individuals who filed for unemployment insurance through the, through the state's Employment Security Department. The bottom chart shows the number of continuing unemployment claims from 2005 to March 2020. You can see the dramatic spike in March 2020 to a level similar to that of 2009 during the last recession. We know this is a spike in unemployment these days, and some of us likely know family, friends, or neighbors who have lost a job. We also know that unemployment impacts Black and African-American individuals at higher rates than Hispanics, Asians, or white Americans. Next slide, please. This is the chart from the Bureau of Labor Statistics that shows the national unemployment rate by race and Hispanic or Latino ethnicity seasonally adjusted from 1990 to 2020. The shaded blue areas represent recessions. The red line shows the historical unemployment trend for Blacks or African Americans, peaking at 17% in the last recession. Hispanic or Latinos are in the dark blue. Whites are in green, Asians in purple. If you look beyond 2010, what I see is unemployment declining for everyone and Black and African Americans are closing the gaps in 2019 more than any other time. You can see from 2020 onward, the spike is, is coming. It's important to be aware of the gains that we have made and continue to support those in our community who may be hurting due to job loss right now. Next slide, please. So what can we do about all this? I would love to be able to say that the city has all the answers, influence and funding to solve these problems, but I cannot say that. The city is fully on board with applying equity to all our decisions. An example of this is the 45% set aside for households of color, as well as the work we have done to make our process to contract with the city more inclusive and equitable. In addition to working with the city to address issues that are, that are under our jurisdiction, we can lobby our state senators and house representatives in Olympia for those issues that are important to our community. Where we see large systemic gaps in access to opportunity based on race, such as in my opening slides, we can let our state elected officials know we want change. Together, we can advocate for policies that help Black and African American communities close the disparity gaps. We can also let our congressional elected officials know how we feel. If you are able during these tough times, reach out and help your, res your neighbors who may be in need. Small gestures can mean a lot in these times. 
Finally, share your thoughts with me at keith.blocker at cityoftacoma.org. I'm open to ideas on how we can move our community forward together. And that includes my presentation. Thank you very much, DJ Man Man. Uh, this is Juana Nobles again. <laughs> And I just want to let you all know that this broadcast is being recorded and we will provide a link to you um, likely as soon as tomorrow. And also um, channel 253 has graciously um, agreed to provide this as a podcast. So you will have this content. I know all of you will not be able to stay the duration of these presentations, although I encourage you to. This is information you want to hear firsthand. Um, but we will also... Uh, provide the content for you to be able to refer to to inform your work throughout this year and beyond. Thank you so much, Deputy Mayor Keith Blocker, for your remarks. That was outstanding. And next, we're going to have a very important conversation. Those of you on the phone can't see the slides, so I will reiterate what we are seeing on our, on our slides. But next up is our um, Pierce County Auditor, Julie Anderson, and she's going to present very important information about voting and census. I know a lot of folks are uh, maybe worried about um, election turnout, um, but we will assure you that um, elections will continue to happen and your civic engagement is also imperative. And if you have not completed your 2020 census, it will take you 10 minutes to complete 10 questions. And the good thing is you only have to do this every 10 years, although there is work in between that we must do civically as a community. Please join me in welcoming our Pierce County Auditor, Julie Anderson. Uh, thank you, Tuana. This is uh, Julie Anderson, as you said, and thanks for inviting me to talk about the gaps, the gains, and the opportunities for um, the African-American and Black community of uh, the city of Tacoma. Um, you wanted me to focus specifically on census and, um, and elections. So uh, we deal a lot with data. I'm just going to give you some really quick slides with maps uh, to show what I think we already know, which is we have a lot of residual, um, a lot of residual patterns of uh, historic uh, racism um, and current inequities. So uh, let's go to slide one. Um, this is the 2016 general election, and uh, we have uh, identified using American Community Survey uh, data a five-year estimate of the uh, highest uh, density African-American census precincts or census uh, tracts, and they are outlined in red. And I, I think that uh, for those of you, and I think everybody joining this webinar uh, is. Um, if you know much about redlining, you can see the residual effects here uh, mirrored in a voter turnout in a presidential election. Um, next slide. Um, and then not much changed uh, in the uh, 2020 presidential preference primary that we just had in March. Don't get too excited about the fact that those colors deepened. Uh, you really need to compare, you need to compare the census tracts on their own on each map. Um, 
we really do see the same pattern in terms of turnout. Uh, this turnout was, uh, let's see, uh, 45%. And if you go back to the first slide, that was turnout of 74%. Okay, go back to the 2020. And uh, next slide. Uh, we also tried to track uh, changes in the rate or amount of registered voters per uh, precinct or uh, census tract. And you can, um, I want you to know that those hashed census tracts uh, couldn't be analyzed because once a year we update and adjust precinct boundaries. And we do that after the November uh, election. So in, uh, we had changes between the two um, data points. Um, but you know, you can see that again, we've got lighter shading in those African American density census tracts, and that is a concern. Most of you already know that there was a suite of election laws that changed uh, effective June of 2019 that I don't think have quite taken hold yet, and we haven't started to see the beneficial effects. That'll take a little while, and that includes same day voter registration automatic voter registration, and the pre-registration of 16 and 17-year-olds. Um, so I don't think we've seen the effects and impacts of that yet. So we do need to continue to pay attention to uh, registration rates. And even though Washington State has the easiest um, uh, voter registration process, uh, very few barriers, primarily online, and now it's automatic for anybody uh, getting a enhanced driver's license or uh, transitioning to one. I think we're going to see uh, rates of registration even out, but again, those prior slides talk about uh, inequities in participation when it comes to actually casting a ballot. Uh, next slide. Uh, so the census is underway, and I think you've all heard that the census has been delayed by COVID and uh, self-response period has been pushed back from August to October 31st. And that gives us an opportunity that I'll talk about in a bit. Again, um, in those census tracts that uh, are of our particular interest today, you can see that uh, we, we want to be a dark evergreen shade, just like our rich neighbors, <laughs> our stable neighbors, and uh, we're not there yet in those census tracts. Um, FYI, there's a, a, an error in the uh, data footnote, uh, that response rate uh, is as of yesterday, not uh, April 21st. So this is uh, fresh data from yesterday. And now I'm going to ask um, the webmaster to please uh, share our screen and go to PierceCountyCensus.org. There's some very important tools you need to know about. And if you can just scroll down. This is your one-stop shopping place for everything that relates to Pierce County Census. And the webmaster is uh, hovering over an interactive map, and I want you to choose one of the lightest census tracts in the city of Tacoma that you can. So that's a good one to choose. You can see there that as of today, uh, the census, um, actually I think that was yesterday, because um, they update at 2 o'clock every day. So you can see that the total response rate is 52%. And this is important data point. You can tell what, uh, what the modality was. Only 26% responded online. 
So that's a clue to uh, investigators and grassroots activists that there's a some sort of an internet gap in that track. It may be related to age, it may be related to financial resources or just uh, education, we don't know. But we do know that uh, internet may not be an effective way of reaching the people that are living in that census tract. By the way, um, the next two lines, it says daily total and daily internet. Activists, if this is your neighborhood or your hotspot that you're concentrating on in building community, you can try an outreach tactic and see whether it works or not uh, within 24 hours. These stats are updated every day. So if you were to send out postcards as a tactic in this census district or uh, do a phone banking project, which might be effective under COVID, uh, you could see whether your the people that you've contacted took action and completed the census within 24 hours. Um, so this is a, a gift to us and it's an opportunity that we shouldn't squander. Um, Having the census uh, self-response deadline pushed back to October gives us another opportunity, and that is to, uh, as we get closer to the fall election season and people start thinking about elections, that's the time that you deliver voter registration and voter preparation messages. Um, as you do your outreach all the way until October 31st, think about adding a voter prep message to your census outreach message. They go together like peanut butter and chocolate. Um, it's all about civic engagement. And many of the motivating statements that um, get people to participate in the census about making sure that you're counted, that you care about your community, your children, your neighborhoods, you care about healthcare, you care about a lot of the infrastructure, quite frankly, that's getting us through COVID and into the new normal, as Mayor uh, Woodard said. All of those caring messages also apply to elections in the fall. So when you're doing this outreach um, and, and changing your tactics, please consider um, uh, getting people to check their registration, get registered, and um, to be prepared to vote in the August primary and the November election. Um, Hey, we've got another opportunity too that's coming up. Uh, the last time I spoke at this town hall, um, I had cited a research study that showed a significant increase in uh, uh, black participation in elections when there are more than two black candidates on in a race um, or on a ballot. So candidate filing week is next week. That's May 11th through 15th. If you have somebody in your constellation of friends and coworkers who is a capable go-getter and would take this work seriously, they can file for candidacy next week. It's all online. Everything that anybody needs to know is at PierceCountyElections.org. So PierceCountyCensus.org and PierceCountyElections.org. The filing portal will be open on Monday. Uh, I, breaking news, at the request of Secretary Kim Wyman, Secretary of State Kim Wyman, uh, Governor Inslee issued an executive order last week that for um, candidates who cannot afford the filing fee because they are, um, well, they just don't have the financial resources, uh, normally what you would do is you'd take around a clipboard to your neighborhood or to Freedom Fair or something and you'd collect signatures as a way of qualifying on the ballot in lieu of money. Uh, that has been waived. 
Uh, all candidates need to do is sign an attestation under penalty of perjury that they can't afford the filing fee, and they can file for free. Uh, all of that information will be on our website and be part of the candidate filing process. So um, think about that. Uh, some of the filing fees are, are hefty in these uh, larger uh, legislative races. And it's a shame that we don't have many local races, but we do have some county positions open. Um, I think that's about it. Um, I, I, one more favor. Uh, I, so those were some opportunities. Use those precision tactics available on uh, the census. Take advantage of the delayed deadline and add a voter prep message to your census outreach and then candidate filing. I would ask, it's incredibly important that um, in, as we approach the fall elections, that we not wait until the last minute to prepare our voters. Um, we same-day registration means that eight days before the election, you have to come in person to get that stuff done. We can't risk that in COVID. Uh, there's going to be a big rebound, and it's going to be high flu season as we approach the November election. People of color have already been overexposed to this terrible virus and overexposed to the consequences. Don't let them be exposed again by forcing them to come in person on election day. Get them prepped up to meet that um, eight day deadline. And if you are having webinars or meetings or phone conferences with any community organizations, please invite me or one of my staff. I'd be happy to go into deep, deep detail about effective strategies and what you can do. Thank you. Thank you very much, Auditor Julie Anderson. I have completed my census and um, will continue to be an active voter and continue to be civically engaged. And I thank all of you who have already completed your census. But if you haven't, make that a priority this week. You can even do it while you're on this call. Go grab it and, and, and complete it now. Um, I want to um, shift us to our next topic, which is education. And I'm so honored that we get to be joined by um, none other than Tacoma Public Schools' superintendent, Carla Santorno. Please join me in welcoming Carla Santorno. You have to give a silent applause, but I'm excited to learn about education because I am passionate about education, still have three kids in public schools, and I know how much of a, a sacrifice, um, but also a bit of a pain it is to shift to online and figure out the technology and support our own students at home, um, but families are, are doing it, and Superintendent Carlos Santona will give us an update on what's happening in Tacoma Public Schools. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and to be a part of this uh, opportunity. Um, if we can show the first slide. Um, I think that this is a great title for what uh, we are attempting to do in Tacoma, serving students in unprecedented times, and I have to say, that um, every year um, as we you know work to get students um, to a higher education level um, we really work to uh, even the playing field and to look at equity i want you to i want this um, group to know that in the fall way before covid we had started uh, planning we had an equity design force and uh, tacoma values equity but we had started a design force to really talk about 
okay, it is time to make uh, everything uh, mandatory and to make sure that we have a systems level approach to equity. And so we had just um, started that and have had a multifaceted task force working for it. And today, right before um, I sat down for this presentation, I launched the first video uh, to get our leaders ready for that. And I tell you, it was uh, very timely because this uh, COVID-19 has changed our world. Next slide. So uh, just, I know for all of you that the timeline has been fast and furious, but I think sometimes it helps to look at this. It, today is May 7th. And so it has been exactly two months since the first date on March 7th where Mary Lyon had its first confirmed case and we had to close the school. And you can see that the closures started after that and uh, all schools closed on March 16th. And then here we are two months out from when uh, Governor Inslee closed all school buildings for the remainder of the year. So we have gone through incredible transitions and have moved quickly, often making decisions often making decisions um, that uh, were coming right ahead of guidance or waiting for guidance in order for us to make the decision because uh, we have to wait for the governor or for the health department or for the superintendent of uh, instruction to help us. So it has been a wild ride that we are still on. Uh, there's not a day that goes by where someone doesn't say, Carla, uh, what's the fall going to look like? And we are preparing wildly for five or six different scenarios because be depending on uh, the trajectory of the disease, we don't know what fall exactly will look like. So we're preparing for several different scenarios. Um, you'll see from this slide that I'd say that uh, we've had three primary priorities. One is a governor asked us to open day camps for first responders so that we are not in the day camp business. So we counted on partners to sit with us and work with us to get the day camp started. The second thing that we know we have to do because of our uh, population and because of some students that do not have access, that do not have stable food situations that we gave, uh, that we wanted to make sure that students had uh, food. And then the second thing, is our mission, which is to make sure that students are exposed to high quality instruction. So next slide. So let's start with the food. This is a map that, costs, that talks about where right now, uh, today, that we had food distribution in the city of Tacoma. You'll see that we are serving free breakfast and lunch to all kids up to age 18. It started with 10 middle school sites because typically in the summer we feed students at those 10 middle schools. We have programs. We thought that would be adequate. And um, I'll talk toward the end of the presentation when I talk about uh, impacts. But one of the things we learned is that we have so many students that do not have um, even, you know, the access to get to these sites. So we ended up adding bus routes and uh, 120 stops. Uh, 40 bus routes, 120 stops at businesses, apartment complexes, and elementary schools to make sure that our students had access to food. Um, we also felt like lunch wasn't enough, so we asked, asked the, um, the feds, the, uh, the United States uh, Department of Agriculture, if we could also put a lunch and a breakfast in one bag so that we could see. Um, we're serving about uh, 18,000 meals a week 
And so it's become quite an endeavor. So that's part of our, um, part of the work we've done with food. Um, we're still worrying about the summer because COVID situation doesn't look like it's gonna change over the summer. We typically have the 10 middle school sites. We're looking at funding. Uh, we've had great partners that have come forward and I'll talk about how that's been one of the things that we've helped our, uh, our, our, our students of color, our black students, is because we have such incredible partners that have helped. Uh, we have partners that have adopted individual schools, which has really made a difference. And we'll talk about that. Um, the next slide talks about our core business, which is education. And if you'll recall, the governor's, the state superintendent's first, uh, first directions to us was to make sure we added additional activities and resources for students. And so we put some online resources um, on our website and said these, and we had them per grade level for uh, pre, all the elementary grades, middle school, and content specific to high school. We knew right away that that wasn't uh, good enough because we didn't have students that had enough devices. We know during the school year, we have kiosks in the schools where parents can come and access the internet. And we knew that they wouldn't have access to that with school buildings closed. So we put packets in the schools um, to make sure that they had an opportunity to get those. And we distributed those at the bus stops. Next slide. Then about um, March 16th, uh, so these, this is an opportunity for the packet. So we distribute them on Tuesdays and Thursdays at all middle schools from 10 to noon. We've since changed the hours because we have parents coming to pick up packets during their lunch hour and they can't make it by 12 o'clock. So we've uh, extended the hours so that, uh, or changed the hours so that parents can uh, pick them up. On about March 16th, the governor, uh, the state superintendent said, no, we want, um, it looks like this is going to last a while. We want you to provide uh, instruction uh, totally aligned and our instruction in the packets and our online was aligned with our curriculum, but we want our teachers to be involved every day in a one-on-one uh, -on -one situation with our students, which is uh, quite an endeavor, not just for Tacoma, but for districts across, across the state. Next slide. So we started doing that right away. And we had teachers that have been phone calling, that have been doing lessons on the, uh, on the iPhones, that have been doing distance learning. Uh, and I mean distance learning from doing the team meetings or the Zoom, uh, Zoom meetings. We're not doing Zoom because there's issues for boundaries, but uh, we've been doing some teams. Um, and so as we've gone through this endeavor from food, um, from food to providing packets to online resources to day-to-day -day instruction with students, and I don't mean that there's a teacher in front of the, the student every day, but that they're doing things to take teach kids through these learning. And if you're a parent working with kids, you know how challenging that's been. But the access issues for black children have been startling and it's really brought it out. So there are any of the things on this list that you see in front of you that I didn't know about. What I didn't know is the depth to the inequity about those. So food, we know that student, we have lots of students on free and reduced lunch. It ranges in Tacoma from 62% to about 63 to uh, 62% to 65% every year. Part of that is because some students, especially in our high schools, uh, they don't sign up for free and reduced lunch because it's a stigma that they don't want uh, attached to them. 
And so we've had to be really careful with uh, making sure. And so what we found out is that when we had food, we started off with, um, I think maybe we were serving, uh, I don't know, 6,000 meals a day. And it quickly, uh, you know, has, has tripled. And so we know how important it is for our kids to get food. Transportation. Yeah, I know that our students have to get to school by the bus to make it timely and uh, to get them on a regular time. What I didn't know is how many of our students don't have access to transportation at all beside the bus. And so when you ask them to go to a middle school for food, they can't make it. When you ask them to go to the middle school, uh, expect them to go to a middle school to pick up learning packets, they can't do it. Um, they, we have students, you saw the map that uh, Julie showed about location. And we find that there are students in locations, um, you know, that are squeezed or they live, you know, in uh, partial blocks that aren't easily found. We have teachers that have been out looking for students' homes because their address does the address on their emergency card doesn't match. And so we have lots of students that are in situations, they're living with grandmas, they're living with aunties, they're living with other families, and they've given an address that isn't theirs. And so it has been incredible um, the, to, to find how many of our students, um, you know, logistically are hard to locate when it's trying to, uh, when we're trying to get the materials. Um, the next thing is, has been just about supplies. Um, I know as a mother, as a parent, when I had young students that if they had a special project, you know, you had to run out and get, you know, the art supplies that they needed. And what we're finding is we have lots of students that don't even have basic supplies. We just started, I think uh, this week passing out pencils, pens, pads, and paper because we have students that don't have those kinds of supplies at home and they don't have the transportation or the money right now to go and get those. Um, the other thing I don't have on this list but should have been there is communication. And uh, we have students that don't have access to communication with their teachers. Um, I talked this morning, I had a principal's meeting with my elementary and uh, my elementary school's uh, principals and last week with high school and middle school. And we have lots of students that we haven't been able to get a hold of at all because their phone number, um, you know, they're in a, they often move and they have situations and we haven't been able to find, uh, you know, a, an address that really matches. So we know we need that. And then the last thing on there is technology. I can't believe that anybody hasn't, um, you know, that hasn't had an opportunity to know how divided the access is for technology. It's shameful. It's a community issue. I'm embarrassed that I didn't know that it was to the, uh, to the extent it was. We're not alone. It's across the state. But we have many students of color that are without the, either the devices and or the connection. And they thought they had internet because they had an iPhone, but they cannot do assignments on an iPhone. Next slide. So two things, I, uh, this is a, we did a survey, this is just an informal survey, but we had more people respond to it than we've ever seen. And you've seen um, that we have a, 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 a high proportion, proportion of students that cannot accept, access online learning by neighborhood. I believe that the situation we're in now is going to continue on some scale and that when fall comes, we need to have students ready uh, and prepared and teachers prepared to do online learning. And even in teams and gathering their classes, that has made a difference when teachers can get together with their kids and see them. So we've got, we've got to do it. Uh, next slide. 
So what do we do? These are things we thought we had, these are things we have in place that we're gonna have to expand on to meet the challenges of COVID-19. We form relationships. We want teachers to know their students and know who they are. We have expanded support. We, the reason our levy more money is so important is because we need family liaisons. We need social workers. We need more than one counselor. We need people to provide that extra support and to go out to families and find out what they need. We have great partners and thank goodness to all of you. Uh, Urban League, thank you. I've had shout outs, people, principals today that said, you're going to the Urban League? Tell them we appreciate the support they've given our schools. You've provided food, you've provided resources, you have provided devices. Thank you for the work that you've done. And we know that we have to, I know that we have to build bridges with all these partners because you know we can't do it alone. We've got to have people that can help us. So next slide. These are the gaps. This is what we've learned. And this is what we need all of you to come together and help us because in order for us to uh, teach students in a equitable way, we need to take care of these problems. Number one, multi-layer student social systems. So we have black students that are with aunties sometime and with grandma sometimes and with uh, a friend sometimes, and we need to go beyond the emergency card and have better systems. You would not believe the efforts that we've had with teachers trying to reach their students, but numbers and the typical emergency card doesn't work. We've got it number two. We've got to take care of the technology inequity. We are working right now. We will get, we've had uh, lots of partners come forward. We will get devices in the hands of uh, every student. Uh, we won't get to elementary probably until maybe January, but we'll have middle school. Our, our plan is to have middle school done um, because we believe that there's, it, it depends on how school starts. But if school starts and we're not there every day, we're going to have to be able to be, be able to use those devices and internet. And we're going to have to go to the community. Uh, we have had partners step up and we believe we're going to be able to announce that we've got, uh, you know, we're increasing the spot hot spots for uh, technology. We've had different partners that have offered uh, solutions. We'll, you know, we're really working on that, but we're still going to need your help. We need enhanced case management. So we need to try, um, it kind of goes with um, making sure that we have more people who know who kids are, where they are, and what they're doing. We need enhanced parent guardian connections. Okay, we can't, I am clear now, we cannot just rely on parent-teacher conferences and the phone calls. We have to have deep relationships with parents. And one of the, one of the great things about this COVID-19 is that we have parents call teachers and say, hey, I have no clue what this means. You know, how do I do it? And have had these daily conversations. And that's been great. We need to foster those teacher-student connections uh, before we ever um, have to go through uh, one of these again. We need to have our students uh, learn how to do remote learning practice and how to get motivated for it and how to use each other. We need to provide parent PD, professional development. We need parents to know how to run a team meeting, how to get it connected and get it up once we get them the technology. And then the last one I think is the most important, and that is we have to triangulate um, and uh, probably more than triangulate, but we need to get all these different relationships, these that you've talked about and the partners that are here today, and make sure that we build this labyrinth 
kind of go back to that multi-layer student social systems so that we support our black youngsters, our kids of color that need more than the traditional support. Because in a situation where we're now, we understand how important uh, we've, we've reduced our lack of engagement. In the beginning, we had 40% of our kids where we hadn't even reached them or heard from them. Uh, with the advent of the grading coming out and some and taking attendance that has uh, and teachers finally getting a hold of people that is probably down between uh, around 10% in some schools. So uh, we can do that. Do we have more work to do? Yes. And uh, we know that as soon as we get any information about the fall, we'll be able to move and talk about how do we adapt to having social distancing in a classroom. Um, we're going to work on all those things, but definitely our most vulnerable students have been the most vulnerable students times five times 10 in this situation. And we need to take care of that technology inequity, uh, build a labyrinth of support for kids and make sure that our partners, our boys and girls clubs, our daycare, our neighbors, our siblings, our faith-based in, uh, institutions are all talking together to hold our kids. We're up to this challenge, uh, we, we will do it, thank you. Thank you very much for that presentation, Superintendent Carla Santorno. I just want to give a shout out to our Mel Involvement team, our MIP team, because they have been um, providing um, additional uh, supervision and activity and compassion and support and love at some of the Tacoma Public Schools day camps. So thank you to the Mel Involvement team. Um, I also want to direct um, community members to TacomaLearns.org. Many of the resources, including food and technology resources, can be found on that website. It is specifically set up as a partnership between Graduate Tacoma and Tacoma Public and uh, Tacoma Urban League. And um, I want to make sure that you are aware and you can um, connect with those resources on TacomaLearns.org. <laughs> Hi, I'm Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, We Art Tacoma. And I've been a member of TAPCO Credit Union since I was a kid, really. My parents set up a savings account for me, and I've had that account with them ever since. In fact, my first credit card wasn't from a big bank, it was from TAPCO, and I still have that too. What I appreciate about TAPCO is they are intensely local. Just like Channel 253, TAPCO keeps its focus on Tacoma and Pierce County. They have easy-to-reach branches and ATMs in the Tacoma area, and when I don't want to drive, I just use their online or mobile banking. To this day, TAPCO helps parents teach kids good savings habits. The Moolah Kids Club teaches kids about savings, not only through interest on their money, but with special prizes and discounts at local attractions. So if you want to help your kids start a savings account the same way my parents did, check out our local credit union at tapcocu.org. My thanks to TAPCO for their support of this podcast and Channel 253. 
Next, we have with us um, Ryan Mello, who is the executive director of Pierce Conservation District, and he's going to inform us on the state of Black Tacoma as it relates to environment. And if you are not familiar with the social determinants of health, environment is key. And um, it's more than just um, tree canopies and, um, you know, other um, things that we typically associate with environments such as pollution. There's a lot to it, and I'm excited today to have Ryan speak to us about um, the state of our community. Please join me in welcoming Ryan Mello. Thank you, Tawana. And it's great to see um, many of the names. I wish I could see your smiling faces, but it's great to see so many um, familiar names on the participant list. I am um, uh, joining all of you in, on my uh, kitchen table, uh, working from home, like many of you are teaching kids at home and working from home and trying to keep up at home. So um, uh, great to be with all of you. And Tawana, thank you for organizing the second annual State of Black Tacoma. It is a real honor to be with everybody. Um, I am Ryan Mello. I'm the executive director of the Pierce Conservation District. If you're not familiar, the Conservation District is a uh, countywide natural resource agency that works to protect and conserve the natural resources of Pierce County and improve the food security. So what does that mean? That, that means we work to um, create better tree canopy in our uh, cities and depave unnecessary asphalt to create uh, better environments for those of us that live in cities. We protect our farms and improve the health of the soil of our farms and support our farmers to be profitable and grow healthy food. We help recover endangered salmon um, through all of our major river systems in Pierce County, the Nisqually system, the Puyallup system, the Chambers Clover system and others. Um, and we also work a lot on food access and food security. Uh, our team is, are, are the ones that are on the ground supporting over 80 different community gardens throughout Tacoma and Pierce County and many other food security issues um, that we're going to talk about uh, together today. Next slide, please. So we know very clearly that there are major disparities as it relates to our health. And uh, some of the information I'm going to highlight for us is not new to our participants, but I think maybe shows a slightly different angle or helps us talk about these issues in a slightly deeper way. We know because of the incredible work of our very progressive um, and a community-driven Tacoma Pierce County Health Department. We, um, we know, um, we, and we have very good data about what makes us healthy and what are causing inequities in the health of our population in Tacoma and Pierce County. This map uh, likely looks familiar to many of you. Um, this is a map that uh, looks uh, at the health uh, disparities in Tacoma and Pierce County. Um, the greener colors are, um, this is a life expectancy map. Um, the, the greener 
cooler colors um, have a higher life expectancy. The warmer colors, the orange and reds, um, are areas where there are uh, lower life expectancies. Um, in some cases, um, you will see a difference of, of 30 years of life expectancy difference. Um, in an orange, uh, in, a, in a red area, um, the life expectancy is in the 67 to 72 years of age life expectancy range compared to someone in a dark green, which is in the mid to higher 80s um, of life expectancy. Um, so we are seeing in, in clear parts of our community, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years of life on this earth expectancy difference. It does not get more real than that, my friends, about the true costs of the major disparities that are facing us right here in Tacoma. When we overlay um, race on top of these census uh, tracts of life expectancy, the um, the bigger the, the dot, the more people of color um, in that census track. And you can see that um, the people of color directly overlay the census tracts that have um, the disproportionate number of uh, much lower life expectancy than our white and Caucasian communities. So this matters a lot. Our environment matters a lot. Uh, and, and the major disparities um, are very clear. And our environment matters because, again, the important work of our local health department and many other really reputable public health agencies across the country have really begun to illuminate for um, us that what determines our life expectancy, what determines the quality of our life when we are on this earth, um, only 20% of that is determined by access to traditional clinical care, access to a doctor, access to the hospital, access to health care as we know it, clinical care, only 20%. 80% of what determines of whether or not we have a high quality of life on this earth, how long we're going to live on this earth, does not have to do with clinical care. It has to do with our built environment. It has to do about whether or not we have access to live a healthy lifestyle, access to parks and open space, access to recreate, access to trails, access to walk around and bike, to work, to live our lives, to run our errands, access to healthy food. How our communities are built directly relate to how our communities um, are able to build civic institutions and safety nets and build relationships with our neighbors and each other. How our communities are built uh, directly uh, relate to um, access to food and whether or not there's a grocery store in the neighborhood. We also know that income and stress and access to affordable housing, these are all of the other 80% of what makes up the ability um, for a longer life and a healthier life. And this is why our environment, our built environment, 
our unbuilt environment and everything that relates to that matters um, to our life. Next slide, please. I also wanted to underscore something we are seeing. I think many of us who get the daily emails from the local health department about COVID-19 contractions um, and, and deaths, when you, when you read the detail um, in these emails, when the daily numbers come out, you'll always see 80-year-old woman with underlying health conditions, 66-year-old man in so-and-so community with underlying health conditions. It is a refrain over and over and over again when we look at who is contracting and who is dying from COVID-19. And the people who are disproportionately dying from COVID-19, when you, when you read the data from our health department, have underlying health conditions. And we know from um, a recent national study from Fordham University that African Americans are four times more likely to know someone who died of COVID-19. And the, the point that I want to underscore here is that these underlying health conditions that everyone, disproportionately people of color, are dying with COVID-19 are directly related to our environment. The kind of environment they are forced to live in, whether or not the air is clean, whether or not they um, have diabetes or um, have had a stroke or heart disease or other underlying health conditions directly relates to their environment, their ability to be healthy, stay healthy, breathe fresh air, eat healthy food, have access to food, have ac access to a walkable environment, affordable housing, and so forth. All of this directly relates to these underlying health conditions. Next slide, please. Tawana asked all of us to speak about gains in the sectors that we are leading in. Um, I wish I had more gains to report on, Tawana and friends. Um, one gain that I will uh, uh, share is something in the environmental field that people like me uh, follow very closely, which is something we have dubbed the green ceiling. What this chart um, shows you, I, I realize it's a little hard to read, but you see the infographic and the takeaway here from this infographic is that um, in leadership roles, um, both you know, staff leadership and board and elected leadership, we have disproportionately fewer people serving, people of color serving in leadership and board uh, positions um, in non-government organizations, government uh, organizations, foundations, disproportionately fewer. Um, and we know that that backtracks, uh, we, we can we can draw a direct line to um, folks early on in their lives and their ability to access uh, experiences um, and work in the environmental field. Um, so you, you look starting with internships and hired staff, um, and we see that about 22.5% of interns 
in the last uh, three years or so were people of color uh, only. So disproportionately fewer people of color who are getting internships. So it is, doesn't take rocket surgery to understand that um, that directly feeds into why we have fewer staff of people of color, fewer leadership roles, and fewer board elected positions. Um, direct relationship to early experiences on, in life and early job and career opportunities. Um, but so while the numbers are nowhere near where we want to need them to be, the gain here that I would like to point out is um, my organization, the Conservation District, and I know from my network, um, Citizens for a Healthy Bay, as an example, uh, the Washington Conservation Voters and Washington Environmental Council, many other conservation districts across Puget Sound, and many other sustainability organizations are taking this work incredibly seriously, um, really understand this relationship of early internship and um, job opportunity and job training opportunity. Um, and I, I can tell you firsthand um, that processes are changing, culture is changing, um, leadership is changing to really understand this and make changes. I want to give a quick shout out um, at the Conservation District, we have partnered um, and contracted with the amazing team at Coleman and Associates, Pat Coleman, Annie Jones Barnes, Kelly Richardson, phenomenal, phenomenal team of experts in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion. They have been our partners for the past several years being shoulder to shoulder with us, helping us to really undo our processes, rethink how we hire, rethink how we create internship and job opportunities, re rethink how we interview and um, how we deliver program in a more equitable way. I highly recommend um, their, um, their, their work and their partnership. Um, but we are making gains here. Next slide, please. There are a tremendous amount of gaps that, again, directly correlate to lower life expectancy and lower quality of life, as we've already uh, indicated. Um, and to put a finer point on some of these, they include access to open space. Can you walk? Can, in, within 20 minutes, can you be um, at a quality open space, uh, whether it be a linear park, linear trail, or a traditional park? Um, this does not mean Mount Rainier National Park. This means um, Wright Park and Alling Park and um, a park in your neighborhood. This means air quality. When we look back at the earlier slide um, about um, disparities in, in uh, life expectancy, they directly track to highways um, and freeways um, and areas closer to toxic sources, fossil fuel facilities, um, roadways, uh, most of our pollution, air pollution in, in Puget Sound, Tacoma, come from our cars, our cars, our trucks, even our buses, our heavy, heavy trucks. It's not just our heavy trucks, it's our normal cars and normal trucks that you and I drive every day. Um, and the air quality is disproportionately worse in where we have higher populations of communities of color. Um, 
the density of tree canopy is lower in communities of color. The city of Tacoma has a goal to have 30% tree canopy um, by the year 2030. So that means if you lifted yourself up like a, like a bird over the city, you would see tree canopy covering 30% of the, of the city at least. We know richer communities, whiter communities throughout the state, throughout the country, have much higher percentages of tree canopy um, than we do in Tacoma. And when you segment it out by neighborhood, um, communities of color have disproportionately fewer percentages of trees. There's amazing research that is ongoing at the University of Washington that has documented um, tree canopy and its direct link to health, to crime, to mental health, to social cohesion, direct correlation. Tree canopy is a tremendous indicator of the health of us as individuals and as community. Gaps also include walkability. Think about your own neighborhood. Do you have sidewalks? Do you have crosswalks? Do you feel safe walking to the store, to the school? Uh, our superintendent talked earlier about how difficult it is for kids to get to where they need to go. In, this, in that case, um, school sites for food, to pick up work packets. Um, our, uh, where sidewalks are, where crosswalks are, where street lights are, um, where traffic is calmer, um, where bike lanes are, um, where there are places to actually walk to. Do you actually want to walk to something, a store, school? It is dispropor disproportionately whiter communities have more walkable uh, communities, access to transit, access to um, biking facilities um, than non-white communities. Um, also significant gaps in food access. And in food access, uh, we know that communities of color continue to have disproportionate fewer um, ability to get to a grocery store, a basic grocery store, not a 7-Eleven, not a mini mart tied to the Chevron, but a place that serves real food, um, sells real food, a farmer's market, a community garden. Um, the lack of food access uh, directly overlays um, where it is disproportionate here with communities of color. Those are some of the gaps that directly relate to the social determinants of health, what determines whether or not we are healthy, um, and is directly related to our environment and quality of envi environment, our zoning, um, our built environment, uh, and, and much of what our, our government and our, our local institutions and all of us have a lot of say over uh, is directly related here. Next slide, please. To quickly uh, just continue to illustrate this, I think we can know this intuitively, but again, our, our built environment matters so much about whether or not we are healthy. You look at these two pictures, um, would you want to live here? Can you safely walk to school? Can you walk to work? Can you walk to a park? Can you and your family just run their life uh, and feel safe walking around here to lead a better life that, it, that has less obesity, ability to get exercise, again, that has direct correlation to whether or not 
um, you have a longer life expectancy and a higher quality of life while you're living? Clearly not. Next slide. These are examples, um, again, that we know intuitively, these are the kinds of places that feel safer. They allow you to want to get outside and walk, walk to work, walk to the grocery store, walk to school, just walk to walk, walk because you feel safer to walk in your neighborhood and community. Um, so you can see how these cities are laid out, how the built environment um, is zoned and built and the infrastructure, how it's invested in, whether you have trees or not, whether you have sidewalks or not, all of this um, are really overt areas that directly relate um, to our environment and our quality of life. Next slide, please. So where, where have we had um, some growth? Uh, we've had uh, growth in, in a number of areas. We are by no means uh, there. Um, so lots of opportunities for growth. Um, as I've mentioned previously, we have opportunities to increase our tree canopy, uh, starting with um, communities of color and low-income communities. Um, and there's lots of programs out there to get involved, uh, programs to learn about tree planting, do job training in tree planting, get free trees. You can get free or reduced trees from the conservation district, from the city of Tacoma, from Tacoma Public Utilities. You can find all this information on our website at piercecd.org. There's opportunities to, to depave a part of your neighborhood. Your next walk, hopefully you can walk in your neighborhood, but your next walk, take a look around and see where are the areas of unneeded pavement and what does that unneeded pavement do to the rainwater that rushes to Puget Sound, to the, how hot it feels in the heat of the summer, how it looks and feels, how it contributes to the quality of your neighborhood. Could it be depaved? Could that be removed? Is it unnecessary? And could it be put in place something else that, that you or the neighborhood wants? That something else could be a community garden. It could be sidewalks. It could be um, uh, a, a place to play. It could just be green space. Um, could be a lot of different things that are more healthy and useful. You could help add an existing community garden. You could help um, uh, start, uh, organize your neighborhood in starting a new community garden that can grow healthy food for you and your family or a food bank. We have a program at the Conservation District called Share the Harvest, where community gardeners um, garden part of their garden for sharing at the local uh, food bank. You could advocate for walkable communities. We have a number of city council members on this call today. Um, you can advocate to them about uh, why you deserve sidewalks and crosswalks and slimmer streets that force cars to go slower so our kids are safer um, and people feel more comfortable and safe walking. You can advocate for more transit. One of the things we did with Tacoma Creates is we took a portion of Tacoma Creates money to fund a free bus pass for every high school student in the city of Tacoma because we know how important access to transit means to access to opportunity. You can continue to advocate for more resources for transit so that everyone, especially our communities of color, can move around um, and get access to opportunity. 
And you can advocate for policies that will clean our air. And there's lots of policies out there that need your help. Many in, in front of our city council, our county council, our state legislature. These are policies such as cleaner fuels and a clean fuels policy, which will dictate that the fuel that goes into our cars and trucks, uh, when it burns, it burns cleaner. Um, better fuel efficiency for our cars and trucks, more clean energy to be uh, uh, developed right here at home, on our roofs, in our tide flats, um, throughout our communities. Uh, you, you do not need to be in sunny California and sunny Arizona to make solar work, as an example. Um, there's a lot we can advocate for. Um, there's a lot uh, that we have not done yet and that our county council, our city council, and our, our legislature must do to advocate for policies that demonstrably mm -hmm. clean our air and we need to tell them that we deserve it. Next slide. So again, a lot you can take action on. I've listed a couple of logos here of organizations that I encourage you to get um, involved in. Um, many of the ideas that I put on previous slides and many ways to get together and uh, get involved, you can through the local conservation district. Again, piercecd.org. Um, many different ways to get involved. Lots of opportunities for environmental education. Lots of opportunities for learning. Um, if your kids are bored or your kids need applicable science lessons in the real world, things for you and your family and kids to do, log on to our Facebook page to get those videos. And there's lots of content there that will keep your, your kids and your family um, entertained and their minds going, especially during this time. Um, get involved in Citizens for a Healthy Bay. Um, join the Tacoma Roots um, Environmental Justice Forum on Facebook. Join a tree planting event through the Conservation District or the Green Tacoma Partnership. Um, and I know we don't have uh, time for questions, so I just wanna say thank you again, Tawana and the Urban League. It's uh, Th thank you for letting us uh, uh, share a little bit. And I highly encourage everyone to continue to advocate and get involved because our environment directly relates to um, how we're healthy and how to bring all of our communities, especially communities of color, to a better standard of living. Thank you. Boston. Thank you very much, Ryan Mello and Pierce Conservation District. Up next, we want to talk about employment. Um, Deputy Mayor Keith Blocker pointed to some of the skyrocketing um, unemployment data, and I can just imagine what it's like at Workforce Central right now. So please join me in welcoming Deborah Howell as we talk about employment in the state of Black Tacoma. Thank you. Thank you everyone for uh, having me here today. It's a, a pleasure to be here and I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Workforce Central uh, and uh, what our role is. Uh, we carry out the vision of the chief local elected officials and our Workforce Development Council uh, who is that is populated by trade, uh, business, uh, and education and other stakeholders in our community very invested in workforce development. 
so I appreciate the opportunity to tell you a little bit about uh, what we what ArcInit is, which is to really champion um, uh, comprehensive system work uh, in response to uh, workforce development. Uh, we also want to make sure we're evaluating our processes as workforce development and evaluating uh, uh, how the system is moving forward in, in terms of the needs uh, that we have in our community for uh, workforce development. Uh, we also try to convene um, partners uh, when um, it's appropriate to do so around initiatives and uh, really identifying the gaps in our in our community around workforce development as well. And last but not least, uh, we want to be good stewards of the dollars that we get. We want to ensure that they go uh, to the appropriate uh, resources and to the job seekers and businesses um, process to ensure great service delivery and being very transparent with those public dollars. So uh, I would I, I do want to start out after this nice you know sort of overview of Workforce Central. Start out with a little bit of a quote that I think is incredibly uh, appropriate. Uh, not everything that is faced can be changed, uh, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. So I um, I feel like that's incredibly appropriate in the moment that we're in. As many of our other panelists have already highlighted, uh, that we have had a spotlight on the disparities uh, in our our current world. So if I can go to slide two, please. So I did want to talk about, I, this was my uh, a sort of uh, compulsion to really be looking at, I should have talked to Ryan before this, to be looking at black leadership and trying to figure out a way to quantify whether we've had uh, increase, because that's a, a really important part of our workforce, um, our labor force out there. And the influence and the power of voice there is so incredibly important, and I wanted to highlight that, uh, I think, as one of our, our gains. Uh, increased conversation in regards to policy is um, a really big conversation happening across the state and in our local area, in particular when it comes to workforce uh, development. Uh, because what that really means is we've had to take a really good look at our policies and what they create for our job seekers and possibly even our businesses as we're trying to influence a change uh, in, in our work uh, place moments around equity uh, and, and inclusion um, in this moments as well. And what I appreciate about Tacoma and Pierce County is that we have a drive uh, to increase awareness around uh, equity in regards to um, uh, workplaces and uh, how we're doing outreach and how we're doing all the mechanisms and protocols that we use to reach out to our uh, labor force and potential candidates out there in the market. Our ode to this is the creation of the Community um, Engagement Task Force. Uh, and what we wanted to take a look at is, you know, as we were looking at our own um, space and our own um, internal workings about protocol, our work source uh, center, what what does it look like in terms of outreach? And that was our first foray into taking a look at having and making sure that we organically and formally embed uh, the ideal of DEI, diversity, um, equity, and inclusion in that process from the top, the middle, and the end, all the way through the process and have it built in and not have it be afterthought after policy has been created, after protocol and process has been created. Uh, so that was our thought process around that. And we'll take that model and move it into other uh, processes that we do um, so that we can ensure that we are being responsive. Uh, and I think the next thing to that is that we have to be incredibly accountable to the things that we find and be responsive to it. Uh, COVID by any means is not um, uh, uh, anything um, good whatsoever. 
However, what it has prompted is um, timely responses uh, to things that we thought would take a long time to respond to, creation of waivers and policies, things that we really don't necessarily need for the customer to necessarily have in order for us to serve them. And this has expedited uh, the opportunity to make sure those type of policies are the first ones to be updated and are, are, are reviewed. Um, I think that the next gain, I just, I just need to highlight this because it's important to me, um, is I have to shout out uh, to organizations like the Tacoma Urban League who hold us accountable and keep us honest uh, to the truth. And they are okay with us being uncomfortable in these conversations in the community. And I have to say, I absolutely appreciate that. So I did start this uh, journey, this presentation journey in regards to reviewing gains for employment and education black uh, uh, leadership of businesses. And what I found, um, and, and I'm using things like the Prosperity Now scorecard and other Washington State data, I think what was discouraging for me is as a layman looking for data, I could not find um, an aggregate that allowed me to see year over year gains, uh, particularly for just Pierce County in terms of how we are doing in those areas. I can see data and um, most of the data, you know, timeframes 2013, 2017, 2018, uh, we are still behind the curve in many of those um, areas. It's, it's, you could clearly kind of see, see that. So, and re, so in regards to that, I think we have some work to do so that we can visibly and very easily see where we are uh, moving and what our growth looks like in all of those um, areas uh, time over time, particularly for folks who are, are looking for information so they can inform their workspaces, inform uh, their processes and what they're, uh, what they're doing. So that is a, an opportunity. If I could go to slide three, please. So I, this is a real, my slides are very simple and I think it's really because I was put, putting more thought into my, my process about what, the, what types of things I want to talk about in terms of gaps. Uh, we know we have a plethora of gaps when it comes to equity issues and, and inclusion, but I wanted to focus on a couple of moments that I'm not sure I hear a lot about in the community, at least that's just my, um, my opinion. So I think it's um, powerful um, to see that we do have black leadership, black voice, um, in the community, uh, but I had a hard time, and I wish I would have, you know, talked to Ryan before. But I really had a hard time finding data that in Pierce County that allows us to see what our gains have been, where we started, and what it looks like in terms of growth of Black leadership, uh, which I think would inform uh, how we maneuver through um, emerging, you know, creating emerging leaders in our community, particularly from our young adult population, and what that would really look like. So I think that is an opportunity for us in the future uh, to make that a little easier for us to all find and to know where it's at. This, this second gap that I'm going to describe, um, I, I think might ruffle some feathers, and I'm going to apologize ahead of time for that if it, it does do that, but I think it's noteworthy for me to talk about and to have a conversation about. Uh, we define uh, what post-secondary education is. Uh, um, I, I think we must define what post-secondary education is and what it actually means to our community. Um, you know, is it simply the act of going to college, a uh, four-year college, or is it the outcome receiving a career through rigorous study and training? And if that is the case, um, I want to, if we're not doing it yet, and I, I think we have had lots of conversations around this, I want to, you know, advocate that we're also including the trades. Now, here's where I'm probably going to ruffle some feathers, because if we do include the trades as, trades as our post-secondary education moment as well, because there are high-wage moments in those trades, there are, you know, wonderful opportunities for uh, promotion. 
Um, if we do that, then we really need to have an authentic conversation about the black experience when it comes to trades from the application process all the way through to once they make it into a trade. And I say this because um, we get, you know, part of our charge is to get young adults, particularly young adults of color, excited about going into high wage moments and jobs. And, um, and if they don't have a great experience from the top to the bottom, uh, then we are encouraging um, folks to go and they have this not so great experience. And I think that needs to be authentic conversation in our community. And I talk about this because I've had conversations uh, with people who have been in these moments and it, you know, causes me to be perplexed and concerned about uh, what kind of experience, particularly black um, um, young adults and uh, black folks who want to go into the trades and are discouraged. So, of course, my first thought is, are we discouraging an absolutely great pipeline to be in the trades when they have an experience and a personal story, having talked to several people, but a personal story is really around talking to an individual who went to get an application and uh, was spoken to in such um, a way that they recognized right away they were get, having disparate treatment, but they so wanted to, they were so excited about uh, doing this work uh, that they kept at it. Uh, but the conversation became things like, well, you know, you have to pass algebra. And that was said three times uh, before the individual says, I absolutely know this and I can do it. So I just don't, I want to inform um, that that is a conversation that I think we need to have more of. It may be out there already um, in peeling back that onion to, to make sure that that process isn't creating a disparity issue or um, an issue by which people feel like they can't engage in those opportunities. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about still, I'm still on slide three, is just to talk about the, re, you know, uh, to recover economically, we know that all of our sectors will need to support that recovery and we will need to support those sectors as they recover. Uh, most importantly, um, our policies uh, need to guide the resources that we're going to need to support workers and businesses um, in this time. So it's time to throw out old status quo policy. That is um, absolutely emphatic, uh, and to really peel back the onion every policy uh, that we have. And we need to measure every policy, and this is something that we have begun doing, both at, I think, the state level for workforce development policy and at our local level, is measured against, have we inadvertently created equity and disparity issues with our policies, both locally and statewide, and our processes? Um, so in looking at those moments um, uh, very critically, uh, and being accountable for what we have created and making sure that we fix them in a very timely manner, particularly in the in the times that we're living in right now. The other thing I will say uh, is policy is important and revamping policy is important. I totally get that. But as I think inwardly as an African-American mom, as a black mom raising uh, uh, two sons and a daughter, I realized I had conversations with my kids about um, about how to protect yourself from racism, how to, uh, you know, you know, be safe if you're pulled over or whatever that might look like for, uh, for our kids. What I realized I did not do is I may not have really prepared them for the experience of racism. And so I have a what if for us. What if we embedded uh, actual courses, and quite frankly, I think they should be free, uh, actual courses uh, in our entire education system, particularly at that uh, emerging career moment, college, high school, by which we have expert teachers who teach our uh, black community, our young black community, how to maneuver through racism. And I say this because 
Um, there are too many opportunities missed, too many promotional moments that are not happening, um, and retention moments. And then we also have uh, um, our Black young adults leaving these opportunities, these great opportunities, feeling like they've been pushed out of a great um, opportunity in a great moment. So what if we had classes that help us define what kind of dialogue we can have with someone? I've had them over and over in my career. Uh, and those conversations could look like something like, I'm not leaving, you're not leaving, I understand that that's your value, uh, so how are we gonna figure this out type of moment? And most of the time people are shocked when those conversations occur in the workplace. But that is part of the diminishing of uh, these moments that people have. And I'm just kind of talking uh, real, real time. We already know that there's lots of data around these moments that happen on a regular basis. But as we look inward, and think about how we're responsive in our communities. How do we help our young folks have conversations um, that helps them maintain great opportunities in the workforce and they are not ran off feeling like they just could not access that opportunity. So that is a, um, a great thought for me and I hope it provokes thought for you as well. Um, slide four, please. So I was asked to talk a little about the impact of COVID and quite frankly, uh, Deputy Mayor Keith Blocker was very eloquent in talking about some of the same data that I have sitting here as well. So I really won't um, go over all, all of those, but I'll just do some key moments here. So according to the Community Attributes Inc, temporary impacts in the, in the near future affect 40% of all jobs in Pierce County. Uh, Snohomish County and King. And what that really means is that we have, uh, we've had a whole lot of temporary layoffs. We've had um, reduction, um, uh, uh, reduction in force in some areas, increase in others, uh, reduction in pay for families. Uh, and we know that uh, families that are experiencing low income are usually the first, uh, are the first hit by moments like this and have been. So we, we already know um, that as well. You know, what I'm going to expect to see in data, and we don't have it yet because I think it's being uh, collated now, but I would be interested to see what the demographics of our, of all of those um, folks who are on the line working in those uh, jobs uh, that help us maintain, um, make sure that the consumer needs are met. So all of those line staff, our health coworkers uh, in the entry level moments, what the demographics really look like for in that moment, and then what is going to happen uh, to those folks once they, uh, uh, once that capacity isn't needed anymore. Uh, and we as workforce development are already planning for what that could possibly look like for, for us in terms of training dollars, in terms of uh, the need of resources, uh, and um, in terms of uh, making sure people can move into another opportunity and upskill them. We also fully recognize that we have communities out there who do not have um, the resources. You know, we're, we're happy that we are doing virtual services. We're doing that across, um, across the region. But here's the deal. We know that there are people out there who do not have access to internet. They do not have the equipment. And uh, in previous policy, that wasn't something that we necessarily were able to buy for folks. Uh, but because of this uh, incredible uh, time that we have, uh, we have learned that there are things we can waive that we as quickly as we can to make sure it's an ease of access to for customers. Um, we are looking at grants that help us buy equipment for folks, uh, joining the city and the other partners in the community to make sure that we can provide food because we know uh, um, a healthy worker is a is a better worker uh, is a better um, labor force for us as well. Uh, so. 
all of those moments are, are happening in the workforce development world as well. And I'm hoping that when we get everything sort of flushed out and approved, that you will see all of those resources um, also on our website and can guide people to that, uh, to that process as well. Um, so those are some of the, the, the moments that we're um, being thoughtful about and having and already doing. Uh, and one simple thing that we did, because we recognize right away that virtual and, uh, uh, you know, services and virtual uh, classes and training may not uh, be available to everybody, but the very least we wanted them to be able, we wanted uh, customers uh, to be able to enroll in our services, uh, even if they had to uh, do a paper enrollment process. So we put some information out in front of the work source. We're looking at doing that in all of our other areas uh, with our other partners. We've got you know partners with the library system. So how can we put stuff uh, in local communities that people can grab? And where are the other places that we can go if they don't have access to technology until we can get them there? Um, so that's very important to us as well. Uh, so. So I just I just want to conclude um, by saying some of the challenges in in and just trying to create um, a presentation today was really trying to find data that was timely. Um, a lot of the data was fairly old that we can see year over year progression around uh, leadership and processes uh, uh, in terms of the work that uh, that we are doing. Um, I think that as we define uh, what gains look like for us in the black community. I mean, I, I know we want to know about business ownership and home ownership uh, and uh, education and all of those wonderful things that we should be looking at. But what are the other things that are indicative to our community that we want to look at as indicators um, that uh, help us think about how we move forward um, in the future? Uh, I think those metrics will, will help us do that. Um, I think we need to move beyond policy and, and promote uh, DEI in an important strategic element, an organic element in every uh, culture that we're trying to build out in the workforce uh, and, and in any other of our other institutions as well. Uh, and I have a great appreciation for all of the work uh, that our communities have been doing um, in this process. Um, so I will end there, and I'm so sorry I forgot to do the slide thing. I apologize for that. But I, I do want to be uh, intentional about time. I want to thank everybody for their time, and I wish everybody uh, health and prosperity. Thank you very much, um, DJ Man Man and Deborah. That was an amazing presentation. Um, we do have incredible work to do on behalf of the black community. And thank you and your entire um, team and organization for leading the charge. We're right there with you. Um, we definitely are partners in this work. I'd like to announce our next presentation by Jacques Cologne. And he is the 2025 strategic manager for the city of Tacoma. We're gonna shift this conversation to, we're gonna shift this conversation to housing. Thank you. Thank you. Hi everybody. Um, so my name is Jacques Cologne. I am the 2025 strategic manager for the city of Tacoma. Um, for those of you that don't know, Tacoma 2025 is the city's strategic plan um, developed by the city of Tacoma residents, not, not employees. 
And housing is a crucial part of what it takes to create the community that Tacoma wants. So that's what I'm going to talk to you about briefly today. Next slide. As part of Tacoma 2025, um, there are five main areas, livability, economy, education, civic engagement, and equity. And the idea is that none of those things can happen unless the other things are happening as well. And you can see here how housing is really central to us achieving a lot of the other aspects of Vision 2025. So for example, in order to have attainable housing, you have to have a livable wage job that allows you to have the income to afford that housing. And um, having housing is vital to staying healthy. Um, we know that from the presentations that you heard earlier today, housing is a huge part of the puzzle that creates what our health is. And so um, when we think about housing, uh, for those of you that are in the social services uh, sector, um, you've probably heard of housing first. And the idea there is that until you can solve people's housing instability, it is really, really hard to solve any other problem. Um, that creating stable housing is what is, in many cases, the necessary foundational first step to being able to achieve any of the other things uh, that we are trying to achieve in supporting our community. So next slide. Um, we are in a housing crisis and we have been in a housing crisis for many years now, as you all probably see and feel in, in, in our community right now. Before COVID hit, we had been in a time period of really prolonged uh, rent increases and rate increases. And you can see here just, you know, the cost of housing has been going up at a very fast rate. Now, what's, what's really scary is that that rate of housing increases is not being met with income increases. Income is staying flat, but people are being asked to pay more and more just to be able to afford uh, their, their housing. The other problem is that there is a really, really limited supply of housing. If you think about the housing ecosystem as a big game of musical chairs where each chair is, is housing for somebody, um, we don't have enough chairs for the number of people that are in the game right now. And so no matter when the music stops, there are always going to be people that are left out until we can find a way to create more chairs to throw into the game so that everybody has a place to sit when the music stops. Um, in addition to just the availability of houses, um, the, like I mentioned about, you know, incomes not going up, it's becoming harder and harder for households to afford paying for their housing. And we talk about cost burdened households, those that are paying more than 40% um, of their income towards housing, that number is rising faster and faster. So um, it, it has been commonly said that 30% of your income or less should be paid on housing. That's not normal anymore in our city. Um, we know that folks are having to pay 40, 50%, even more of their income to be able to afford to live in Tacoma. And then there are a lot of barriers to accessing and staying in a home. And, and those barriers um, can include things like language or having a, um, a criminal record or other things that prevent folks from, from stabilizing their housing the way that they might want. Next slide, please. So just like you heard about inequities in other sectors, those inequities are very present in the housing sector as well. You can see here from an income standpoint, 
those with the least amount of money have the fewest amount of housing options in front of them. And so those folks that are uh, deemed extremely low income, that's those making 30% or less of the area median income, those folks have only 27 available units for every 100 Tacoma residents, or sorry, 100 Tacoma households that have that income. So that is a huge, huge gap that we need to find a way to start filling. In addition to income inequalities, we can't talk about housing without talking about the reality of the racial history of housing. And so how we got here has to be uh, started with a conversation about our history. And that starts with the land that we are talking about and, and the original people whose land that we are talking about. And going through our history, you know, we have to talk about policies such as residential redlining that excluded people of color from um, our more affluent neighborhoods. We have to talk about policies like the GI Bill, where most of the home uh, backing that was given by our federal government was given to white GIs and, and GIs of color were excluded from that funding. And then today, we know that most uh, of the wealth in families is grown through home equity. And we see that that wealth gap is growing because historically white families have had access to home equity and families of color have not, definitely not to the same degree. And now you see that reflected in who is being uh, put in a position to have to rent as those rent prices go up and who actually has access to owning those properties and being supported by those rents. So next slide, please. So that history is real and we're seeing the effects in our, in our community today, but there are opportunities to work on that. And we are, um, I will say, very lucky to have leadership like our mayor and deputy mayor that are um, unabashedly talking about the fact that we need to be intentional about building racial equity into how we do things. And so I wanna talk to you for just a minute about the main way that we're trying to address housing at the city, and that's through the Affordable Housing Action Strategy. There's a lot more to talk about with this work than I can possibly cover in a few minutes. So um, the link on the right side of your screen should give you um, a place to go where you can see a lot more about what we are doing, how you can get involved, um, and contacting me if you would like to learn more. What I wanna tell you very quickly though is that housing is very complex. There's no one size fits all solution that we can just throw out there um, and solve these problems. So we're approaching it with four big objectives. Um, I mentioned the musical chairs analogy at the beginning. We have to create more new affordable homes. There just aren't enough of them right now for, for the folks that need them. And so we have to create more chairs to throw in. The second is that we have existing affordable homes that may not stay affordable forever. So we need to find ways to preserve those affordable homes that are already existing, both through helping uh, low-income homeowners, but also preserving low-income rental housing for more years um, and allowing folks to stay in the communities that they um, have made home. The third is to actually help residents experiencing a housing crisis. This has obviously become even more of a priority right now, considering how many people are struggling with lost jobs and housing insecurity. Um, and then the fourth is removing barriers to housing. Thinking about ways that we can create new processes, new ways of doing our work that really put the end user first. Thinking about who is actually trying to get the housing and how do we help them best. And thinking about removing barriers, whether it's things like I mentioned, um, you know, 
language access is that a barrier that we can that we can deal with easily and and take out of the picture for folks that are struggling to find housing stability um, you see actions under each of these objectives there are actually 24 different actions that are part of this plan um, so when i said there's a lot more to talk about than i have time for there really is we have work going with each of these actions i put a couple of the the big ones just to show you um, uh, you heard from the deputy mayor and the mayor about rent, the rental assistance program and how we were intentional about racial equity as part of that. Um, and so I uh, would be happy if there's any follow-up questions after this if folks want to connect with me. Next slide. And so uh, in terms of our immediate response to the crisis at hand, um, you heard about the state eviction and foreclosure moratorium. That is a great protection to make sure that folks aren't needlessly put on the street for the time being. Um, but we know that much more is needed, that once that much moratorium gets lifted, folks are still going to be struggling and there is a lot of support that folks need so that we can keep our communities as intact and resilient as possible. Um, and so a couple of examples of how we're trying to do that. PPU has drastically expanded their utility assistance to make sure that folks aren't being put in a position where they um, can not only not pay their utilities, but are having services shut off in their time of greatest need. So really proud of the work that TPU has been doing to support folks. You heard about the rental assistance program. I'll just reiterate that 45% of those funds are being directly allocated through direct referrals from folks that are working directly with families of color to make sure that folks are getting it that need it. And then the other 55% is being allocated through um, a lottery because we know that doing things like on a first come first serve basis is not equitable when you think about who has access to applications or hearing about things. Um, so we wanted to make sure to be as equitable as possible. I just wanted to mention that lottery system as an additional layer to this. And then finally, small business loans. We know that many of our small businesses are run by black and African-American Tacoma residents. We need to make sure that they are getting the support that they need. So um, grateful for the work that everybody in the community is doing to make sure that small businesses, renters, homeowners, and everybody else in the community has the support that we need so that we can make it through this as the community that we uh, hope to be. So with that, my information's at the bottom. Um, please contact me if you have any questions about housing. And I'll just end by saying um, that as the strategic manager in the city manager's office, the city recognizes that housing is not an issue that can be dealt with by a housing program or a housing division. It's really an all hands on deck kind of problem. And so you can see that reflected in all of the actions that I talked about. And if you go do research, they really are across the entire bandwidth of the city and our partners, because um, housing is truly essential to us accomplishing our goals. So with that, thank you very much. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and um, thank you. Don't sweat the technique. Don't sweat the technique. Thank you very much for that presentation, Jacques. Uh, you've heard several times a mention of COVID-19 and um, this state of Black Tacoma is unique because we are in the middle of a pandemic 
which is impacting all of our work, all of our services. It is highlighting the disparities that you've heard many speakers say are not new, but are um, magnified in attention um, and has made it certain that there is work to do um, around racial equity, um, not, a, not, not just across the world, not across the country, and not just um, around Pierce County, but right here in Tacoma, um, to listen to some of the data around life expectancy. That is right here in our city, in this county. This is critical information for you to pay attention to, and I hope you all are taking really great notes. I know I've taken notes, and this is informative um, for the work that we will continue to do at Tacoma Urban League. But it's important for us to now shift to healthcare and to talk about um, coronavirus specifically, but also other disparities um, in the black community, um, as well as where we have done well. I mean, there is the, the Ebony Nurses, Leaders in Women's Health. I sit on a board um, for Multicare Health System. And so I know incredible um, healthcare providers, clinicians, um, doctors, nurses, administrators are taking care of this city, but we have to know the data and know the information to inform our work. When we know better, we do better. I also want to give a quick shout out to um, Representative Melanie Morgan, who was on a call with us today, as well as um, Farron Johnson and the incredible work that the extended, expanded learning opportunities um, programs are offering to our students. Superintendent Carlos Santorno spoke to many of the gaps that exist for our students. The 26 to 28% of Tacoma Public School students of color on the east side and south end who still don't have access. And I wanna just um, celebrate and recognize the ELO community that is stepping into that gap to make sure that those students receive what they need. Um, this is a, a community I am tremendously proud of and um, grateful that you have been with us this entire um, uh, state of Black Tacoma. This is our final presentation of the evening. And after Dr. Jamelia Sheryls Jones presents, we will um, have a little bit more music as you exit. But please feel free to let it play in the background. Stay inspired. Stay doing this work. Um, we're right here with you in partnership. We can do this. Please welcome Dr. Jamelia Sheryls Jones, Director of Health Equity multi-care health system. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Tawana, for that wonderful introduction. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jamelia Schultz-Jones, and I am the Director of Health Equity at Multicare Health System in the Center for Health Equity and Wellness. I use she, her, hers pronouns, and I'm a population health nurse with a background in pediatrics. I'm very grateful for the opportunity today to speak with you briefly about the impact of COVID-19 has had on healthcare and on the health of our community. Next slide, please. So what is COVID-19? It's a new strain of coronavirus that causes a respiratory illness. The coronavirus family has actually been around for a long time and usually causes a cold in humans and other infections in animals. However, this particular strain is different and can cause serious respiratory distress. It is thought to be primarily spread through person-to-person -person contact, but it may also be possible to contract COVID-19 by touching surfaces such as countertops or doorknobs that have, that have been exposed to the virus. On average, it takes about 14 days for symptoms to appear after being exposed, but it can happen in as little as two or three days. Symptoms can be mild to severe and generally include cough, fever, shortness of breath, muscle aches, sore throat, loss of taste or smell, diarrhea, or headache. 
Nasal swab testing is currently the only approved method for diagnosing um, COVID-19. And unfortunately, there are no specific treatments for the disease at this time, though we do have vaccine and drug development underway. This disease has truly proven that it can be fatal and it can affect anyone, regardless of race, socioeconomic status, geography, and other factors. However, there is data that shows that people of color are more disproportionately affected, as we will see on the next slide. People 65 years and older and those with underlying health conditions of any age, including those who are immunocompromised, are also at a higher risk of developing severe illness from COVID-19. Next slide, please. COVID-19 has had a significant impact on the health of the Tacoma-Pierce County community. At the time of this presentation was created on April 22nd, there were 1,236 confirmed cases of COVID-19 and 40 deaths. We know these numbers have been growing each day. As of yesterday, the total number of cases was 1,591 with 54 deaths. On this particular slide, I also have Tacoma Pierce County Health Department data showing the proportion of COVID-19 cases by race and ethnicity, which is similar to the data our deputy mayor showed during his presentation earlier. What this chart tells us is that COVID is disproportionately affecting our communities of color, especially African-American, Latinx, and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander communities. We have also seen this trend of inequity nationally in cities such as New Orleans, Chicago, St. Louis, Detroit, and New York. Since the onset of COVID-19, we have also seen an increase in stress, anxiety, and depression across the country due to job or income loss, social isolation, school closures, fear of loved ones contracting the disease, or just general uncertainty of the future. Increased stress and anxiety can unfortunately increase the risk for domestic violence and child abuse in homes. And sadly, we have also seen acts of racism and discrimination towards Asian American communities due to the fact that COVID-19 first emerged in China. This has had a significant toll on the psychological and physical well-being of Asian Americans. Next slide, please. So COVID-19 obviously has also impacted our local healthcare systems. Um, impacts include the creation of incident command centers or systems that are composed of groups of hospital leaders and staff who plan, execute, and evaluate responses to emergencies, such as the COVID-19 pandemic. We have also seen shortages of personal protective equipment, otherwise known as PPE, um, particularly masks. Elective procedures were canceled to conserve PPE in hospital beds for COVID patients, though we are now um, beginning plans to um, start scheduling them again pretty soon. Labor pools were also created, which allow staff the opportunity to support different areas of the system that are in need of help. We also know that voluntary and mandatory furloughs are now in effect at MultiCare, which will help restore the system's financial health. Health systems have also implemented new visitor and screening requirements that include temperature checks, attesting to not having symptoms of COVID-19, and wearing masks in outpatient and inpatient settings. And efforts to reduce the number of outpatient visits, telemedicine and virtual health services are also more widely available now. Visitor restrictions are also in effect. Patients are often limited to one or two support partners when visiting hospitals and clinics. On a more positive note, healthcare systems have also seen tremendous support from the community, which has definitely been a heartwarming experience for us. At MultiCare, businesses, schools, and organizations have donated surgical masks, gloves, and gowns for staff, 
homemade cloth masks for visitors and patients, and food donations and care packages for frontline staff. Seeing the community come together in this way to support our health systems is definitely something to celebrate, and we are very grateful. MultiCare has also provided support to the community during this difficult time by donating $1 million to nonprofit community-based organizations in Pierce, South King, and Spokane counties, many of which serve vulnerable populations and address food insecurity. Next slide, please. Fortunately, there are steps we can take to protect ourselves and others from contracting COVID-19. At the individual level, we should try to avoid potential exposure as much as possible by staying home per Governor Inslee's stay home order in effect through May 31st. If you do need to leave your house to do essential errands or get some exercise outside, it's important to practice social distancing by staying at least six feet away from others. It's also recommended to wear a mask or face covering in public. There are many sites online that will show you how to make your own mask, um, but the CDC most likely has the best instructions on how to do that on their website. Also make sure to wash your hands frequently with soap and water. I'm sure we have heard that um, quite a few times during this pandemic, but it's just so important. And if you do not have uh, water or soap available, you can use hand sanitizer, but it must contain at least 60% alcohol in order for it to be effective. At home and at work, it's a good idea to clean frequently touched surfaces with disinfectant sprays or wipes. And of course, if you feel sick, please stay home, except to seek medical attention at your provider's office, the urgent care, or emergency department. If you do have COVID symptoms, it's important to call ahead to let the facility know that you will be arriving so they can prepare for you. At the community level, it will be important to collaborate on effective interventions designed to reduce or eliminate COVID-19 disparities. More testing is needed in communities that are more disproportionately affected, such as the African-American, Latinx, and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander communities, along with improved access to healthcare services and better attention towards social determinants of health. Lastly, it's true that knowledge is power. It's important though that we share factual knowledge about COVID-19 others in our community. There is a lot of misinformation out there about COVID-19, especially as it relates to the African-American community. So it is crucial that we are going to the right sources for information. In general, healthcare system and health department websites, the CDC and the World Health Organization are examples of good sources that will have the most credible information on COVID-19. It is also important to make sure that any outreach education materials used are culturally relevant for communities of color and translated into different languages. I strongly believe if we take these steps towards COVID together, in addition to receiving a vaccine once one becomes available, we will soon see this disease begin to leave our community. We can beat this together. Next slide. And that concludes my brief presentation. Um, if you have any questions about the content I shared today, please feel free to send me an email at the address shown on the slide, jjsherls at multicare.org. Thank you so much for your time and attention today, and stay well. Take all of your dreams, but you can't allow it Cause baby, whether you're high or low
Thank you all so much for your time. It is now afternoon, and I really appreciate you spending um, this great block of time with us to learn about the state of Black Tacoma. As I mentioned earlier, this recording will be available to you um, as well as um, a podcast made available by Channel 253. Thank all of you panelists for your expertise. Um, thank you for your um, extension of support and partnership to all of our community. I look forward to continuing to work with all of you as well as the attendees. Again, stay home, stay healthy, wash your hands. We are a resilient community and we can do this together. Please register for our gala. The empowerment dinner is September 26th. Ticket sales are live and we look forward to joining you for a celebration of all of our hard work this fall. You all stay well. Take care. Bye-bye. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Give Me the Mic is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.